CITR 101.9 FM. I'm sitting here with Daniel Wilson. I'm here to talk about how to survive a robot uprising, tips on defending yourself against the coming rebellion. And I showed up wearing my uh, Autobot. It's, this is Autobot, isn't it? Yeah, those are the good guys. Yeah, that's, not, uh, that's Optimus Prime. I got, some pro I got a little bit of uh, feedback on Slashdot, which is a, uh, a website, news for nerds, stuff that matters. Uh, and apparently the robot on the cover of my book, which happens, he's uh, shooting a human with a laser, laser eyes, is, uh, that's the silhouette of Optimus Prime, who's a good guy. Yeah, and he was, uh -oh. well, <laughs> see, seems like the, the topic of the book is, is what, what could go wrong with robot technology. Yeah. So I guess, you know, something could go wrong with Optimus Prime. <laughs> yeah, you never or know. Maybe this is from an episode where he's evil. Yeah. <laughs> Decepticons could create an Optimus Prime clone. Exactly. This there is go. good creative thinking. That's right. <laughs> of course, he's holding a little human, too. Yeah. And that's definitely evil Optimus Prime. Twin brother. Nice. It's a very shiny, pretty book. That was one of the first things I noticed. It was the uh, aesthetic appeal to it. Yeah, the, the pages are gilded in red metallic ink, and I think that it kind of looks like it's been dipped in robot blood. <laughs> sort of. That's kind of the first thing that I thought of. Whenever I saw it, I was like, 
it's not quite like the Bible gilded. It's a little something extra. Yeah. Was that the uh, the designer's thing, or was you really yeah. like, I want to see some robot? <laughs> so it's just not going to be right if I don't have that robot blood effect. No, uh, Richard Horn uh, is uh, based in London, and he did the book design and the illustrations. And he's very clever. You can see on the last page, he's included an entire paragraph about himself, <laughs> as well as a quote. <laughs> So, uh, no, he's brilliant. He's working on the sequel to this book and also my next book. So oh, wow. You have a lot in the... In the pipeline. So, is, this, is well, first let's talk about this. Okay. Um, now, reading this, um, it seems like it's pretty much a fun way of saying a lot of the advances that have happened with robot technology. Yeah. What I did was I took all the robot uprising stuff straight from the movies, right? Because it's so much fun to think about. The Terminator chasing people around, HAL 9000 manipulating the environment to kill people on the spaceship. And then I sort of realized there's, there are real answers, right? It's not like a horror movie or something. I mean, it's, there are really real answers. So I tracked down the roboticist who I happen to work with. <laughs> I tracked him down just like, you know, in the Talk to the guy next for to coffee. You. Yeah, stuff like that. And, uh, and I asked him the questions. And what I found was that, you know, I, I asked him, put yourself in this position. What would you do? How big can a, can a, a robot walker get, right? And you find out things like, well, if a robot walker is going to be really big, the legs have to be really light because it takes a lot of effort to swing them. And you have to swing them. You can't have a direct drive motor because the motor can't support legs that big and heavy. Like titanium? You know, some kind of really lightweight metal, yeah. The, you know, it's the future, man. Carbon nanotubes. That's what it's all about. <laughs> but, uh... So I asked these guys this, and what I found was all of the biggest weaknesses for robots are also the main areas of research for roboticists. <laughs> because if they can't do it well, there's somebody out there trying to make sure that they can. So, yeah, it was, it was really easy to get these guys and ladies to help out. So you've got your Ph.D. now, or are you still working on it? Yeah, I, got, I, got my, I finished my Ph.D., uh, I had to do it before I did a book tour for this. <laughs> they weren't too happy that I actually wrote the book while I was uh, Doing your finishing doctor. my studies. I didn't realize that that was illegal, right? I mean, I didn't realize that anyone would buy the book. <laughs> How is that illegal? Like, Well, you while you're getting paid to be a student, uh, so you get paid to be a research assistant or oh, okay. to teach or whatever. So, so it's double dipping? Yeah, it's like going and getting another, like a night job, like stripping. I couldn't do that either, you know? <laughs> For a variety of reasons, but also because it's illegal <laughs> in the school. Um, what made you get into robotics? Uh, in the first place, robots are really cool, just period. I mean, it's such a lame reason to, to enter a PhD program, but you're, lo you're looking down the list of possible things, you know, and you, you get into sort of a role-playing vibe, like, what's this character going to be good at, you know? And then you see robotics is on the list. What? You know, <laughs> did somebody slip up? Am I living in a comic book? Like, uh, robotics is on the list. Sweet. I'll do that, you know? And so that's what I did. And I had done a degree in computer science, and I was tired of sort of sitting in front of a computer. I was like, you know, more hands -on. the computer to come to me. Yeah. Nice. Some legs on it. But, uh, Ironically, I never really dealt with mobile robots <laughs> during my uh, during my studies. What was it? Just programming or uh, artificial intelligence? So I, I did uh, smart houses, kind of like How 9000 without all the killing. Or the so The Simpsons episode. Yeah, where where Homer eventually gets eaten by the uh, the table, <laughs> the living room. Yeah, the kitchen table. Gosh. <laughs> we 
Yeah, we ch- now the seducing aspects, you know, of the smart home, I'm all about, you know, but the, uh, the, you know, chopping people into tiny bits part, I never focused on too much. Until you wrote this book. <laughs> Until I wrote this book and I had to. Actually, it was funny because I, I studied smart homes for five years, and there's a section on the book, in the book, called uh, How to Escape from a Smart House, and this section I was kind of uniquely qualified. So you'll see it's longer than the other sections because I just had so many details that I had to put in, you know. And it's kind of ironic because it's a section where I didn't really need to ask anybody for any information because I knew it all. But in my area, I know a lot of people that study the same things that I do. And so I, I ended up giving that section to just so many people. It's just kind of doing a little bit of your own academic peer review process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, only, you know, they're a little uh, surprised whenever they get it. They don't quite understand. <laughs> well, I mean, I had one guy, actually. That's I gave, not academic writing? <laughs> I gave that section to Gregory Abad, who is uh, at the Georgia Tech, and he's the head of the Aware Home uh, project there. And he read that section, and then he, he didn't really make any comments, and he gave it back to me and said, well, all that stuff's obvious. That's obviously what you would do if a smart house went crazy. And he, and he, he didn't really mean it that ni- He wasn't being that nice, really. He was saying it was all very predictable. And, but I kind of knew that I had scored one. You know, I was like, yeah, you think it's predictable. You've been studying it for 20 years, you know. Of course it's predictable. How, how soon do you think smart homes become a reality? They are already a reality. If, uh, the ADT, well, what they're really good at is, is keeping track of the elderly. That's where all the money's at. So... There's this, always this idea of a smart house that's going to figure out whether or not you want a beer. And that's really just not a very compelling scenario. I mean, nobody's going to pay and give up all their privacy and have this robot in their house and then it knows when they want a beer. That's no. what kids are for, right? <laughs> just have a kid. It's easier. It takes less time to install, you know. But now the idea that you can have a, you can have a smart house that's going to keep you safe and you're not going to have to go to a nursing home or it can connect you with your family, like this kind of thing, well, you know, did you know that in the United States, the demographic of the entire United States in 20 years is going to be the same as the demographic in Florida right now, which means <laughs> lots of elderly people. Old people. All the baby boomers are retiring, and so there's a lot of money right now for, for robots that keep track of elderly people, and that means robot houses, too. And that could also probably be used with, like, dis- situations with people with disabilities and stuff, I guess. Sure, like yeah. ALS and things like that, where people just need that. They know what's going on, but they can't quite do it. Yeah, well, a lot of it, a lot with smart houses, a lot of it is just figuring out what's going on in the first place. And what I found, I ended up programming a lot of models to model how people move, what they do, which, you know, how they cook, how they do anything, bathroom schedules, whatever you can get, right? And it turns out people are just ridiculously productive predictable. I mean, if you think about it, think about yourself, what you do every day. Oh, I'm day. pretty, I, I first mean, thing, I'm on the computer, go have yeah. my shower, and then back <sighs> on the computer. And it's really easy for the computer, for the for the yeah. computer to form a model of what you're doing. I mean, even if it can't see your face or anything about you, it can figure out who you are just based on your, when you follow your routine. And of course, if it was trying to kill you, that would, be, would a, be really easy. <laughs> that would be a huge advantage, you know. It, is that maybe like a little underlying thing? Is people need to spice up their lives a little more to make them a little less <laughs> susceptible to robot attack? You know, I love uh, I love my my routines. I mean, I watch certain DVDs while I wash the dishes. You know, like I listen to certain music while I write certain things. Um, so no, I, I love patterns, but. If suddenly the house is trying to kill you, you might want to think twice about following your regular routine because the house is going to be able to possibly predict what you would do and be waiting for you to do it.
and then know ahead. to fold that table on you when you go for exactly. your Homer breakfast. <laughs> yeah, when Homer's salivating in the kitchen, it's only one step away from the gaping maw of the kitchen. that like um, the amount of work that kind of like 
or everything, a lot of like technology is getting into a lot of aspects of society. And do you kind of see that as a plus, or do you see it's like kind of people taking advantage of it and not really realizing, you know, how much the technology is doing for them? Yeah. Yeah, a good concrete example of that is with cars right now. So I, I saw a study recently that where they took a lot of people who are used to anti-lock brake systems, which, by the way, are, are controlled by an artificial intelligence, a very simple AI algorithm, like a, a neural net, that basically, as input, it takes all the parameters about the car, including how hard you're pushing, pushing on the brakes, and parameters that are collected from the tires about how slippery the road is. And then it takes your braking, and then it, it decides how you should really be braking, right? Because it's smarter than you, and it's better at this, and it can think faster than you can uh, on this one particular domain, which is braking. Um, they so that's a lot of dangerous. Well, well, they, it's not dangerous. In fact, it's really great. But when you take a person who's used to, who grew up with analog brakes, and you put them in an old car without them, look out, right? People are wrecking the cars. Like they can't figure it out. And now the latest versions of cars uh, are doing automatic. They'll stay automatically in the middle of the lane. There's a Lexus that can park itself. You just line it up, and I swear, you hit a button, and it parks itself. All you do is tap the brake, right? So the question is, is, it, is this making people better drivers? Is it not safe? And I'm all about the technology. I got no reservations. I say push it. Yeah, keep going. I want my car. I want to shave on the way to work, right? In fact, fuck it. I want my car to shave me <laughs> while I'm asleep on the way to work, right? You just want to, like, get locked out <laughs> at the door. Clothes yeah. put on for it. Yeah. You know, how about a computer that can predict everything I would have done during the day, and just goes ahead and does it? You know, because <laughs> it knows me so well. You know, no, maybe not quite that bad, right? I mean, there's make this, us redundant. There's this notion of, of being redundant, or of just getting kind of like overweight and lazy, and mentally lazy and physically lazy. And uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really think that's going to happen. You know, I have a Roomba vacuum cleaner that lives under my bed, and it vacuums. I mean, it lives under my couch, actually, yeah. and it vacuums. Uh, and would I have vacuumed otherwise? No. <laughs> it's just that now the vacuuming gets done, right? Do you ever see the, ever watch the TV show Rested Development? I haven't seen those. I've heard a lot about it. There was a great episode with the, with the vacuum. The ro- a robot vacuum? Oh, yeah, sweet. The, I have to watch those. Yeah, he, uh, one of the characters has it in his bed, but... Yeah, that's I'm a monster. <laughs> that's my advice: is if uh, if a, if you ever wake up and a, a, your Roomba is you know like uh, on your face or whatever, just let it finish because <laughs> it's not worth it otherwise. <laughs> that's, that's gross. I should just be thrown off the balcony for that. Yeah, um, that's okay. Um, okay, I have a, a geek, a comic geek question from one of my uh, homies. Um, because as it is, it's, do, Gang Studs is a comic show. I don't know if the, the, you know your comic, your old comic stuff. We're talking mid-80s. Okay. So you're about the same age as me, right? Late 20s? Yep, late 20s. Okay. If Rome fought Warlock from the New Mutants, who would win? <laughs> I'm out of my league don't here. Don't know Rom the Space Knight, or... Uh, I'm out of my league. All, this, all the these great the robots in comics. I know, I know. I'm missing out. Uh, well, you know, I have been paying attention to other robots. The real ones. <laughs> the ones that actually do The much stuff. less boring ones. The ones that very rarely, you know, you know, uh, have superhero battles. Or attack things. <laughs> no, um, attack. 
What do you think of robots as a possible kind of like art movement type thing? Like, uh, I don't know, you know who Mark Pline is? Um, no, I'm familiar with some of the stuff in San Francisco, the Survival Labs. That's and, oh, him. is that him? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm vaguely familiar with some of that stuff. And Will Wright, the guy who made The Sims, has uh, something called the Stupid Fun Club that's also in San Francisco. And uh, they're trying to actually spin their robots into a television show, a reality show. A TV so, show about robots. Well, yeah, here I'll, I'll get into it. They, uh, so there's a, there's a huge, there's an area of study called uh, human-robot interaction, you know, and they want to figure out what's appropriate. How should people interact with robots, right? I mean, is it okay to have scary-ass robots? Should they look like people? Should they look like, uh, you know, furry little Godzillas? I don't know, right? Uh, but they're trying to... <laughs> I was actually trying to say gremlin. <laughs> gremlin was the word I was thinking of. Yes, but... Uh, so this is, these are interesting questions, you know, and, and so far it's mostly been researchers answering them, but it turns out it's also really fun just to stick somebody in a room with a crazy-ass robot doing something ridiculous and see how they react, you know. And it's also kind of precious because people are definitely going to get build up an immunity over time. So the Stupid Fun Club, uh, I saw one of their robots. It looks like... It basically, what it does is they take it out in public, and it kind of, wa it's rickety, and it kind of walks a little bit, and then it falls down on the ground really loud. It just crashes onto the ground, and then it goes, help me! <laughs> and then they, they watch and see whether what they do. Do people help it up? Do they not, you know? They found that guys will help it up if they're with their girlfriends. <laughs> but otherwise, people just walk back. like a kind of anthropological study. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I mean that's, I think that's pretty interesting to see how people figure it. I saw another one where there's a, a robot, looks like a trash can, bright red. It's really common for a robot platform to look like that, just a wheeled mobile robot. And so what this thing had was, uh, it was about waist high, and it had a camera that stuck up on a little teles telescoping rod or whatever. And it was at a, it was at a conference... Um, some kind of cocktail hour. And this big red robot was wandering around the room and its job was to take pictures of people, right? But the fact was, this robot had no... It made no attempt, really, at human-robot interaction. It was really good at framing up pictures and taking them. And so, what they got was dozens of pictures of slightly skeptical to very scared people because they don't know why this huge red robot is coming at them, right? And then there's these lights flashing and like they don't know what's happening. And it's because the robot's got no face, it's got no it's got no indication of what its internal state is, you know. I mean that's interesting from a research perspective and I think it's interesting artistically. But uh, you're probably thinking more about uh, uh, you know, comics. And you know in Japan they build their robots to look like their comics, mm -hmm. which they don't do here. So you'll see robots styled directly after Astro Boy. And the thing, the robots are beautiful, and they look like they're posing. No matter what pose they're standing in, they always look like they're posing, right? They're just carefully crafted so that the perspective is just right. They always look like you're staring up at them from the ground, and they're a, a thousand feet tall, you know, even whenever they're just uh, the size of a robo-sapien or something. A robo-sapien. <laughs> All these great terms. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, I saw a craft work in Seattle a couple of years ago. Yeah. And the best part of the show was the robots. Yeah. Where they actually <laughs> pulled the robots on stage 
and had them do We Are the Robots, and everyone was going crazy. <laughs> like, that's interesting. And they actually did a tour, I think, where they sent yeah. just the robots out. <laughs> I heard about that. Well, it's a little, you know, I lived up in Vancouver, and, you know, I'm not going to be able to get down to, like, San Francisco or something to see that, but apparently it was an excellent tour. Yeah, I, well, yeah, I mean, you can go, you can go see, like, Crystal Method or something, it's just like, you know, One like guy oh, it's like button. an overweight white guy, like, standing on next to a computer panel. Yeah. Honestly, I'd rather have the robots, I think. But, uh, and that's true, like, uh, I listen to a lot of electronic music, like, for me, Kraftwerk was a religious experience, because, like, everything I listen to, or most stuff I listen to is electronic, not necessarily, like, rave, but, like, really mm-hmm. experimental stuff, yeah. like, old German stuff, like, John Cage, and things like that, where he, he believed, like, all future music will be electronic and percussive, <laughs> he, he was kind of right, but, um, a lot of, like, electronic shows are incredibly boring. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting, like how that was so entertaining, but it's all it is. It's just a couple of arms moving and stuff. Well, when I was a kid, my dad, when we would go on road trips, my dad would listen, basically exclusively to Craftwork uh, and old Craftwork <laughs> tapes. And when I first got old enough to buy a CD, you know, like I bought a Craftwork CD, and it was like a, a MIDI re. You know, they had converted all the analog Craftwork music into yeah. Di- uh, digital and then and then reproduce it and it was nothing and I was so upset and, you know he listened to one other album and it was Neil Young trans which is, is that the, one with the, the, the disco? Yeah, no it's an entire album like through I think it's called a vocoder like yep. the uh, and so he's robot sound yeah oh man that was good stuff I've got that one too <laughs> I got stuck listening to Jimi Hendrix and road trips <laughs> Santana Oh! 
okay. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, this cop spoof. Uh, and they were, they were members of the state. So I was very thrilled that, I don't know if many people would get this, but the guy who wrote the monkey torture skit <laughs> for the state also wrote a movie based on my book, which is, to me... That's it. Game over. I reached the uh, the final level and I got all the bonus points. <laughs> but uh, and I, I happen to read it and it's it's really hilarious. Despite the fact that these guys also wrote uh, Herbie, the Love Bug. Oh, which I never saw it, but it oh. made a lot of money. <laughs> oh, you know, but they're the Not an example of a, you know, how does Herbie? In the oh God, he is! A, you're right. Herbie's an unmanned ground vehicle, technically. Yeah. Wow, man. He's like a pansy-ass version of Kit. <laughs> <laughs> Herbie, that do-gooder. Yeah, how yeah. tough can you be with David Hasselhoff, though? <laughs> David Hasselhoff, not very tough. Put David Hasselhoff in a jean jacket. Look out. You might. <laughs> you could be cruising through the streets in Blade Runner, and no one would know the difference. Tough ass, you know. Um. Movies seem to be a big thing for you. I, within the context of the book. Yeah. A um, lot of scenarios came from there. From like Terminator and Matrix and Star Wars and yeah. Robot. Uh, a big one for me that I personally like for sci-fi stuff is uh, you know, Blade Runner, like Philip K. Dick stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you get into much of his stuff like as a young man? Kind yeah. Of into this you know, Philip K. Dick wrote a short story called Second Variety. And have you ever heard of this short story? It's no. Terminator. <laughs> it's Terminator, all right? I don't know if Terminator is ever credited to Philip K. Dick, but this short story, which I, I actually... Shouldn't uh, the Matrix be credited to him, too? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if he'd like that. But, uh... <laughs> the Termi- Maybe the first one. But the Terminator, I mean... So it's basically a story about... Uh, what he writes is a story about... Uh, hand-sized robots that seek out uh, basically flesh and attack it and destroy it and then they cut it up and then they hide in the ash and they can also modify themselves. And they don't attack humans that are wearing certain bracelets. Army A wears the bracelets. Army B doesn't have this luxury and they get eaten up by the robots. Of course the robots eventually ignore that and all the humans are hidden in bunkers. And then the robots have to figure out a way to get in and the way they do it is they imitate humans. And there's a first variety, which is a little boy who's pleading for help, and they get in, and they kill everybody in the bunker. And then the humans learn, don't let those little boys with teddy bears in. There's hundreds of you them. You have that in there. I seem to remember something about a little boy. Oh, uh, that was probably from AI. Oh, okay. There's another little boy with a teddy bear in AI. Yeah. Which, that, that teddy bear, that was a real robotic prototype, actually. Really? Stan Winston did some of the design, and some other people from MIT did the robotics, I think. But uh, anyway, that's back to the story. Right, so that's the story. And so, uh, you know, short stories from way back when. And, uh, and also sitcoms. Don't forget sitcoms. You know, Red Dwarf and uh, Small Wonder. I used to watch the hell out of Small Wonder. Small Wonder, believe it or not, was a sitcom in the 80s where there's a little girl who's a robot and there's a father who's a roboticist. He brings the girl home, Vicky, and... She lives with his son, and she sleeps in a closet, and she goes to school, and no one can know that she's a robot, right? So they're constantly hiding this fact from the neighbors. And she's doing things like falling in love with computers. And, I mean, literally. <laughs> like, 
she's they're like plugging appliances in under her armpit, you know, and things like that. And she talks like a little robot. This could not have had a been beneficial to the, psych, the psychological health of this little girl actor, you know, who yeah. grew up as Vicky. But you know, I mean, that stuff. I thought that was really hot shit when I was a kid. My friend uh, made this little DVD of like video clips, and there's some like things from like really crappy pilots. And one was this cop show <laughs> where. His son had died and got reincarnated into a little robot dinosaur. Like a little Godzilla type thing. <laughs> That's not the best part. The best part is when his when the cop is in trouble, the robot grows into like one of those uh um, It's an incredible hook type thing. Well it grows you know you like the, wanna see my son angry. The like monster truck show, you know, eating the cars and stuff, it turns into one of those. Truckzilla? It turns into it, a it truck turns into Zilla? A Zilla. Oh my god. It's horrible. That's a sure thing. How is that only a pilot? In the Anything Goes era of the 80s, I would imagine that that would make it through. I think they tried you know? and tried. It didn't work out. Yeah. There was Robocop 2, of course. It's good stuff. And Written I'll, by a comic guy, Frank Miller. Yeah. Oh, right, right. Well, he wrote the original story and then, or screenplay, and then it got chopped up. And and then turn into the monstrosity of that. And never got into the RoboCop movies. You know, RoboCop really... There's only one scene in all... Well, there's of course a scene of the melting guy covered in nuclear waste that gets hit by a car and explodes. That was awesome. But uh, there's only one scene that was really, really, really compelling to me. And it's a scene where a big machine is aiming a gun at a, at a criminal. And it says, drop the gun. And the man is obviously scared by this gigantic machine. And it's got a name. I forgot it, though. And is that the one that had, like, the big thing around? Yeah, it looks like it? a mech. Yeah. And a little one, but, you know. And uh, the guy, the criminal's obviously very scared. He drops the gun. And it looks at him, and then it says, drop the gun. <laughs> and look on the guy's face. You know, it's like, I dropped the gun, right? And that's the, that's the critical issue when dealing with a robot, right? I mean, there's no arguing with a broken robot. <laughs> It's going to shoot you, dude. You might as well, you know, you might as well be tied up and laying in, laying in front of, like, a lawn or a train or something, right? Yeah. Because it's just coming at you, you know. When there's a malfunction... Logistics aren't working. That's, that's an ill-designed robot. Um, so you were a gamer when you were young? Yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, or...? Oh, yeah. No, I actually played... Uh, I did play Dungeons and Dragons. I played uh, Middle-Earth role-playing, Merp. That was my game, so Lord of the Rings, basically. Uh, yeah. Wood Elf. <laughs> Wood Elf. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had some notes, some, I put some flags in here. To Did I have role-playing references in there? No, you didn't have any role-playing references, but you were talking about gaming earlier. Yeah. So, um, I try to, you know, cover it up as best I can. <laughs> it's, this is Vancouver, and there's so many... <laughs> no, There's SCA here. Yeah, yeah, SCA is creative and act. I love that. I, lo I have a drinking horn. That's all I do. I don't fight, <laughs> but I go out with my horn. I take my shirt off, throw the horn over the shoulder. I'm usually too embarrassed to get the horn filled with beer, so I make my girlfriend do it. But damned if I don't drink it. Yeah. <laughs> That's about the limit of my participation. Nice. And I have a horn because those, those, those chalices, they're, they're Goblets are too expensive. It's ridiculous. <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. That's okay. Horn. Horn. 
freaking horn. Like a Viking. <laughs> Indeed. Um, one thing on the show is we play some music. Is there any music you'd want to hear? It's played before and after, and I throw stuff So, in. I'll tell you what, I do, I have music that I listen to, uh, sometimes to get me in the robot mood. The robot mood? Yeah, and, uh, there are a few songs. You know, there's, there's craft work, obviously. And, uh, there's a, there's a song by Tattoo. The, uh, <laughs> you know this song? You heard this? I, I know a bunch. I am a robot. They repeat it about a thousand times. That's it's a beautiful awesome. thing. And, uh, and of course there's, there's the Flaming Lips. And, uh... The Yoshimi battles her robot? Yeah, Yoshimi. Um, she's a, you know she's a black belt in karate. But, uh, so... Is that a line from the song? Yeah, she's a black belt. Um, she's working for the city. Boy, have they done well. What else do I have? I uh, like craft work. Oh, you know, Neil Young, trans album, Sample and Hold. Mm. Good stuff. Okay, trans album, Sample and Hold. For big pigeon on her seat. <laughs> yeah, I Distracted me. <laughs> trans and Hold? Sample and Hold? Sample and Hold. It's trans from album. a trans yeah. album? That is such a computer sound thing, too. Sample and hold. hold. Yeah, it's uh, beautiful. I think it's, you know, he sang a lot of his other songs they already had through the the vocoder thing or what. I, that's not the right word. I'm making that. No, it's vocoder. Oh, okay. It gives you like that really loud. Yeah, yeah, that shared thing. Uh, he, he sang a lot of his old songs through it, but he also came up with some new ones. I think Sample and Hold was just completely meant to be a robot song, you know, like. It was his version of techno, I swear. It's what? like, it's all uh, electronic. When you were uh, a teenager, were you, like, you've been in computer, into computers pretty much your whole life? Oh, yeah. Grew up, grew up with a Amiga or something? Yeah, as far as, I only go back as far as maybe an Apple IIe, but uh, I do remember purchasing the floppy disk and being in the store, and this is way before we did anything with computers at school, and I asked the woman, I was like, okay, how do I play the game? And she was like, you type D-I-R. And then you yeah. find the file that has a .exe after it, and you type in the name of that file. And I was, like, memorizing that. You know, back when your brain is spongy, and you yep. <laughs> learn things. And you've remembered that <laughs> for 20 years or something. Yeah. And, like, that was my first computer lesson, you know? And, like, to me, it was all a means to an end, you know? <laughs> how do I get the video game running <laughs> on the computer screen? And then later, it's how do I make my own video game, because all these video games suck. <laughs> Did you get into a lot of, like video game programming stuff. And yeah, yeah, I did uh, for a long time. And then I left and I went to school. I went. To, I did a computer science degree. I learned how to program. I got pretty good at programming. But then I went to graduate school. And kind of the whole point of getting a PhD is so that you don't have to program anymore. You, you just come up with great ideas. You may have to do a little math. But then you say, make it happen. You know, make it so, right? And after I finished my PhD, I got invited to come out and uh, interview at Bungie to be the AI guy for, like, the next Halo games. And I was like, that would be cool. Turns out, you have to know how to program really well to work at Bungie. And I just screwed up my... <laughs> but in the retrospect, you know, I definitely... I'm much more happy writing than I would be uh, programming every day, even with uh, such a great group and yeah. uh, such fantastic games. So it, it, right now, all you do is pretty much just the... Just the writing. I'm writing. Yeah, I'm writing. A, I write a column for Popular Mechanics. Um, I'm writing. I just finished the second book. I'm getting ready to start on the third book, and I'm writing some television stuff, which yeah. is why I need to check out Arrested Development. 
I got some great Roomba monologues written. Oh, it just pops. You know, it's great stuff. No, I'm kidding. I don't. <laughs> well, check out Arrested. It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, I've, been a, I've heard a lot. Of a bit, a bit of a fanatic. Okay, I thank you for taking the time to meet with me. I think your show is on now. You're on uh, the Urban whatever. Yeah, I'm on something. I'm on CBC The Hour. CBC. All yeah, right. buddy. That's, a, that's some Canadian Sometime. action. Sometime. Yeah, some sweet Canadian action. <laughs> so, well, that's our uh, that's our thing here. We love the CBC. Great. Is this your first time in Vancouver? Yeah, it's my first time in Vancouver, but I've you know I've been to Canada plenty, and of course I grew up on Quebec Avenue, which basically makes me like an honorary Canadian. I think. Well, that's Quebec's <laughs> Oh yeah, good point. <laughs> it's like saying you know you're yeah. uh, you're a Yankee and you live in Tennessee. God, can you uh, can you just cut that part? <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna just get lynched. Right out. <laughs> no, <don't worry. laughs> okay. Yet was number. Yet was number. Yet was number.